Good morning. Thank you, Elijah. I want you to imagine with me that you are a reporter and you're brand new at the job and you go to work for a large news organization and you get your very first assignment and believe it or not, your first assignment is to interview the president of the United States. Now, there's only one problem. You don't really know a whole lot about the president. And so as you think about this interview, you're worried and you're concerned that you'd, if you go into it cold, if you try to wing it, you may babble on and on. You may say something that's inappropriate or out of line. You may feel lost and feel like the conversation doesn't go well. And so what do you do? What do you go to your boss and you ask for help? And your boss is gracious enough to assemble a team of reporters and investigators, let's say 40 of them, and they are all people who are going to do a lot of research for you on the president. And they come to you and they provide a write-up on the president for you to prepare you for your interview. And they write about his accomplishments and they write about his personality and what he's like uh, behind the scenes. And some of them have had personal encounters with the president. And so they tell you about their time with him. And you put all of these accounts together and you have this nice comprehensive profile on who the president is. Now, when you go and you sit before him and you go to that interview, what are you going to talk about? Are you going to talk? You're going to talk about the content and the stuff that's in that profile, aren't you? You're going to ask questions about statements in there. You're going to repeat uh, what others have said. You're going to use the content that your team gave you as a guide in your conversation with the president. And as a result, your conversation is going to be much richer, and it's going to be much more informative, and you're going to be much more likely to enjoy your time with the president. Well, that's what happens when we use the words of Scripture to guide our conversations with God. When we use the Bible to guide our prayers, we're going to be much more likely to have a rich, enjoyable conversation with Him. And so today, I'm going to give you seven practical ways to use the words of Scripture to guide your prayers. Before we dive in, I'd love to pray and would love for you to pray with me. Father, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for what you're doing in our church family and how you're teaching us how to meditate on your word. I'm thankful for what you've done over the last six weeks in the midst of this series. And Lord, I trust that uh, you have plans for the folks who are sitting in this room this morning. And they're not here by accident, but that over the next half hour or so, you have something in this message for them. Lord, I pray that you would use uh, this message to draw people into a closer, more intimate relationship with you today. Lord, would you open our ears, open our hearts, help us to hear from you today? Would you speak to us, Father? Speak to us in the name of Jesus. Amen. My name's Kevin. I'm the Groups and Disciple Making Pastor here at Genesis, and today we're finishing our series, Eat the Scroll. And for the last six weeks, we've been learning about the importance of feeding yourself on God's Word. And we began this series by looking at a passage in Hebrews chapter 5. I want to take a quick review of that. Hebrews 5, verse 11 through 14. Follow along as I read. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Verse 12. 
In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Now, I want to highlight verse 13 and 14 real quick. Infants live on milk because they are not mature enough to chew or digest food on their own. And as we've said, the Greek word for infant here in verse 13 means immature, but it also means unskilled or untaught. And in order for the infant to grow and mature, they must eventually learn the skill of feeding themselves. And as they learn to feed themselves, they move from milk to solid food. Now, here's why this is important. Many Christians go their whole life, and they never learn to feed themselves on God's Word. I just want to tell you this morning, regardless of whether, where you are in your relationship with the Lord, if you want to grow toward maturity, if you want to grow in your relationship with Him, then you've got to learn how to feed yourself on God's Word. Well, how do we learn this skill? Well, verse 14 says, solid food is for the mature who, by constant use, have trained themselves. We develop the skill by practicing it over and over again. That's the reason we presented the 40-day soap challenge. Our goal was that over the course of this series, over the last six weeks, over these 40 days, that by practicing the soap study method, you will begin developing the skill of feeding yourself on God's Word. And you know, the concept of feeding yourself, if you will, has a biblical, biblical word to describe it, and it's the word meditate. The biblical word meditate means to contemplate or to think about Scripture over and over again. It is similar to the English synonym ruminate. And ruminate is what a cow does when it chews and digests its food. Meditating is chewing on and digesting God's food. This is what we talked about in week two when I told you to stop reading the Bible. I am happy to report that no one has left the church on account of me telling everyone to stop reading the Bible. So that was good news. But my point was that there's a big difference between reading the Bible in a hurry, got to check this off my list kind of approach, and meditating on the scriptures the way God directs us to. And so the tool or the method we've been using to help us develop the skill of meditating on scripture is called SOAP. And if you happen to be new with us today and this is your first time, SOAP is an acronym that stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. Last week, we, we covered observation and application. And for the most part, uh, as we've gone through the series, we've emphasized how the SOAP study method is a great tool to help us slow down and study or think about Scripture. But the point I want to make today is that we not only want to study the Scriptures, but we also want to, and this is in your notes if you're taking notes, we want to use the words of Scripture to guide our prayers. I want to use the words of Scripture to guide your prayers. On one hand, biblical meditation uh, means to study, but there's a second meaning of the word meditate that we really haven't discussed yet in the series. Biblical, biblical meditation can also be defined like this, to utter, to murmur, or to speak. It simply means audibly saying God's word, and even more specifically, it means to whisper in a prayer-like manner. See, meditating on God word, God's Word means two things. It means studying God's Word, 
and it means speaking it out loud in the form of prayer. Let me show you how the psalmist does this and models it for us. Psalm 119. There's a dozens of examples we could look at. Psalm 119, verses 11 through 16. Follow along. The psalmist says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees, and I will not neglect your word. He's talking about the scriptures. Now, I want to highlight the studying and the speaking part. When he says, I've hidden your word in my heart, he's saying, I've studied your scripture. I've studied it. I've meditated on it. I've contemplated it. I've thought about it over and over again. I've hidden your word in my heart. That's the study aspect we've been emphasizing throughout the series. But there's a second, second aspect. It's the praying part. Look at verse 13. He says, with my lips, I recount all the laws. With my lips, I recount. What he's saying is, I speak your word. I speak your scriptures. I pray your scriptures out loud, actually. The psalmist here gives us the motivation and the methods, methods by which we're to approach the scriptures. The psalms were the prayer guide, if you will, for the ancient Israelites. They were not simply read and studied, but they were also prayed and even sung as songs. And if you really want to grow in your prayer life, if you really want to grow in your intimacy with God, I want to tell you this. Start meditating on the psalms. Pastor and author Tim Keller out of New York says this, if you want to learn how to pray the way God has directed us to pray, then immerse yourself in the Psalms. In fact, if you've really enjoyed practicing the SOAP study method and you're a little bit nervous because the 40 days is up and you're like, well, what am I supposed to read next? Because we've gotten a few of those questions. The reading plan ends this week. I think it ends on Thursday. I want to encourage you to begin meditating through the Psalms. There's 150 of them total. Could take you several months if you wanted it to. 150 days if you take one per day. But for the ancient Israelites, they used the Psalms as their prayer guide. And we learned from the ancient Israelites that they not only studied God's word, but they spoke God's word in prayer and in song. And we can do the same thing. We can do the same thing. You know, the Bible was meant to lead us into a conversation. Or another way to look at it is that the Bible is our conversation material. And if you think about any relationship that you want to develop intimacy in, conversation's an essential activity, isn't it? I mean, you can't really develop intimacy very well if you don't have good communication. Paul Miller, the author of A Praying Life, which some of you have read, says conversation is only the vehicle, conversation's only the vehicle with which we experience one another. Prayer and conversation isn't ultimately the goal. Intimacy. Intimacy is the goal. But prayer is the vehicle. And, you know, when we often think about Bible study and prayer, we, we, we often separate the two, right? Some of you uh, are familiar with this. You've, you've struggled with this. You're like, okay, I've set aside 30 minutes to spend time alone with God. Or I've set aside some time in the morning or in the evening. And I... I I, 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 don't, I don't know what to do. Am I supposed to study God's word? Am I supposed to do the Bible study? Am I supposed to pray? There's all kinds of things to pray. There's all kinds of things to study. And there's this tension sometimes between studying God's word practically and, and praying. But I think Jesus said, I, I don't want you to separate the two. In John 5, he essentially said the study of scriptures should always lead us into a conversation. A.W. Tozer, author A.W. Tozer said it this way. He says, the Bible 
is not an end in itself, but a means to bring men into an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God. That's the goal. The goal is intimacy with God. And let's just be reminded this morning that that's the heart of Christianity. The heart of Christianity is that through Jesus Christ, we get to have an intimate relationship with our Creator and Heavenly Father. See, that's what prayer is. Prayer is an invitation from your Heavenly Father to walk in a close, loving relationship with Him. Jesus spoke to this in John 17, 3. John 17, 3, He says this, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. And the key word here in this phrase is the word know. Some of you have heard me say this before, or highlight this, but the word know here is gnosko. And it's a knowledge grounded in personal experience. It means to be intimately acquainted with. You know, it's one thing to do a lot of research on the president and to know a lot about the president, but it's totally different to get the chance to sit down and interview him and to interact with him and get to know him on a personal level. God wants us to know him on a personal level, not just know about him, but to have an intimate relationship with him. And see, this was the secret to Jesus's life. If you study the life of Jesus, if you study his relationship with God, you'll come to realize, you'll come to the understanding that the intimacy he shared with his father was the secret to his life. And it's going to be the secret to our lives as well, having gnosko with our heavenly father. Now, there may be no better passage that sums up Jesus's prayer life than Luke 5, 16. A, 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 simple, a simple phrase here, simple sentence. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. That'd be a great verse to soap, wouldn't it? Let me just spend a few minutes observing what all is going on there. But here's the quick conclusion is this. Jesus spent time alone with his heavenly father. And if that's the way, if that's what Jesus needed to do, then, then you and I should you and I should do the same. If we're going to pattern our life after his life, then we should often withdraw from the busyness of life, the hectic schedule that we have, and get alone in the place of prayer. So as the 40-day challenge ends this week, I want you to encourage you, don't stop meeting with God. Don't stop setting aside that time. Put it on your calendar. I like to call it a prayer appointment. Set a prayer appointment and keep it. We take the things that are important to us and we put them on our calendar. Do that with your prayer time feels a little unspiritual, but we need, we need that accountability in our lives. And I want to encourage you to keep using the SOAP study method. Keep meditating on God's Word. Keep making observations. Keep making applications and asking, how does God's Word apply to my life? And then keep praying. Okay, so let me give you seven simple and practical ways to pray God's Word. I'm going to walk through these real quickly. I'll give you just a few examples on how to use the words of Scripture and speak them back to God in prayer. Number one, it's in your notes, agree and believe. Agree and believe. Whenever you're having a conversation with someone and they say something you agree with, it's, it's often very natural and appropriate for you to respond by saying something like, oh, I, I agree with you, or definitely, or you're right, or I think so too, right? Those are common phrases that you and I use when we're in the context of conversation. We often take uh, a person's words and speak them right back to them. For instance, you may say, man, I woke up this morning and it's really cold outside. And you may respond, someone says that, and someone, uh, you may respond to them by saying, you're right, it really is cold outside, All right? And we have an entire book 
We have an entire book full of words that a real person has spoken to us. And we can use these words to speak them right back to him. And so whenever you're reading a passage of scripture and it says something that you agree with or that you believe, then say it back to God. Let me model this for you just using, like, for instance, tomorrow's um, passage in the 40-day challenge. It's James 4, 1 through 10. I'll just highlight the first couple of verses, James 4, 1, 1 and 2. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. So I might read that, and I might feel a conviction about that, and I might agree and believe by saying something like this. Father, you're right. My selfish desires have caused so many fights in my life. I covet something, and when I don't get what I want, I throw a fit, and so often I do not ask you. Listen, it's simple, but this is a profound way to engage in conversation with your father. Just to simply take his words and agree with him and pray them back. Look at the psalmist. He does this in Psalm 86, 15. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God. You're slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. The psalmist is agreeing with and believing God. Yes, Father, I agree and believe that you really are compassionate and gracious. You have been so gracious to me over the years, so compassionate towards me. Do you see I'm just taking the words of God and saying them right back to him? When we do this, we, when we use our words to express our agreement with his words, we are aligning our hearts with his heart, and we cultivate intimacy with him through this. Listen, I don't know a whole lot about spiritual warfare, but here's what I do know. There's a big deal when we agree with God according to his word and according to his truth. And one of the ways the enemy will work in your life and mine is he gets us to agree to lies because he's the father of lies, and that's really his only tactic. I mean, he's come to steal, kill, and destroy, but he does it through lies. And so what he does is he works in our life, and he gets us to believe and agree lies. And when we believe and agree a lie, a stronghold sets in our life. And those strongholds are only broken when we renounce the lie and instead agree and believe God's truth. And so as you read Scripture... Agree and believe with it. But don't just do it in your mind or in your heart. Say it out loud. Speak it back to him. Your father's there. He's real. He's listening. He's waiting. Talk to him. You wouldn't sit across a conversation with somebody over coffee or lunch, listen to what they say, agree with him, and just kind of just, you know, I mean, you say it. No, you say, I agree. I agree with you. I think you're right. That's true. Say those words out loud to your heavenly father. You'll find uh, intimacy will, will grow. Here's a second way, second way you can use the Bible to guide your conversation is give thanks and praise. Give thanks and praise. Listen, near, nearly every marriage counselor will tell you that one of the best ways to cultivate intimacy in a relationship is to make it a habit of appreciating your spouse. And this is true for any relationship. Saying thank you to someone and expressing words of appreciation is a great way to cultivate a close relationship. The same is true in our relationship with God. So if you're reading a passage of Scripture and you come across a phrase that, elicit your, that elicits your appreciation of God, tell him. Tell him. Say it. Speak it out loud. Say, I appreciate you. And here's why. The Psalms are filled with prayers of thanks and praise. Many of them. That's what the whole purpose of, their, uh, of them. But here's an example of just one. Psalm 103, 1 through 5. 
David said, praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. You see the psalmist praising God? So we can take this. Listen, you can take this very psalm and you can pray it. You can say, Lord, I praise you. I praise you for forgiving my sins. I praise you for redeeming my life. Lord, you have filled my life with good things. You've given, you've been so loving and compassionate toward me, Lord. Say you take the words of God and you pray them right back to him. Here's another example, Romans 5.8. This is one that I've been meditating on uh, in recent months. So one of the challenges, or one of the focuses I I pray about in the last year or two, I've been praying about, is the love of God and just understanding the love of God and just understanding that we've got to receive the love of God and grasp the love of God. Paul prays that in Ephesians 3. We've got to grasp God's love in order to really love like God. We've got to take it in so that we can receive it so that we can turn around and give it out. And so I was led to this passage, Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I can't tell you. So here's what you do. You just take this passage. So if you memorize this passage, you study this passage, you just begin to know it. And then you just, 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 during your prayer time, throughout your day, just that quiet utter, that quiet murmur, that quiet whisper, God, thank you for demonstrating your love for me in this, that while I was still a sinner, while I rejected you, I didn't want you, you still died for me. I'm telling you, if you've never tried this, it seems so simple, but you begin taking God's word and praying them back to him and giving thanks and praise to him using his words, you'll find your prayer life will continue to grow and get richer and more enjoyable and effective. Listen, giving God thanks and praise should be a regular part of our conversation with him. Okay, so we can agree and believe. We can give thanks and praise. You can also ask for understanding. Number three, ask for understanding. Several months ago, I read that uh, one of the ways we experience intimacy in a relationship is when someone sincerely seeks to understand our thoughts and emotions, okay? When someone makes an intentional effort at understanding what we're going through, that leads us to a closer intimate relationship with that person. Well, I've tried to put this in practice with my kids because sometimes my children uh, will start crying and they'll get upset and I don't understand why. And, uh, and so, you know, there's the fit that's taking place right, right there. And I'm, I'm thinking, okay, whatever happened is not that big of a deal. And so I've tried to put this in practice by saying, okay, I use this phrase. So it's worked a little bit. Parents, you can, maybe you find this helpful. Try it. This is fun. Uh, I've, I've said, uh, so Selah is our oldest daughter. Selah, okay, help, help me understand what's making you sad right now. All right? I'm like, is this what, is this what it's come to? And, and so... <laughs> Help me understand, Zoe. Help me understand why you're sad. Why, why are you laying face down on the ground, kicking and screaming? I mean, other than the fact that you're a two-year-old. Uh, help me understand. But it's worked. It's worked. The first handful of times I did it, n- no response. They just kind of look at me like, what are you asking me? Like, and, but it started to work. It started to work, specifically with my four-year-old. She has started to articulate What's going on in her heart and mind? It's been so sweet. Do you know what happens? When I say to her sincerely, most of the time sincerely, help me understand, help me understand why you're upset. Help me understand what you're going through. It opens a door 
for me to move into her heart and her mind. And then she begins to open up to her dad, and we begin to experience intimacy in our relationship. She knows I'm sincerely trying to understand. And God, we can do the same thing with the Lord. We can do the same thing in our relationship with him. We can say, Lord, give me understanding. Help me understand this passage of scripture. In fact, the psalmist uses the phrase, give me understanding or teach me dozens of times throughout the psalm. Let me give you one example, Psalm 119, 34. He says, give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. He asks for understanding in order that he may obey God from the heart. He wants to better understand God's word so that he can love God better. That should be a regular part of our conversation with the Lord. Help me understand, Lord. The Apostle Paul prays for understanding in the New Testament for the Colossian believers. It's in Colossians 1. Here's what he prays. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. And then Paul's going to give the prayer. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. See, we should ask for understanding. And notice that Paul says it's God who gives us the understanding. So if God's the one who gives understanding, we need to ask him. Listen, he's willing to give us understanding, but we have to ask. Over and over again, Jesus, when he taught about prayer, he said, ask, ask, ask. You have not because you ask not. Ask for understanding in your prayer life. Whenever we read or study the Bible, the Lord will often highlight a verse or a scripture because he wants to do a work in our hearts in that particular area. So ask him for understanding. Ask him to help, uh, help do, that, do that work in your life. Um, okay, that's the fourth way to... Uh, that's the fourth way to ask and to pray the scriptures, use the prayer scriptures, is ask for help. Ask for help. Let me give you a couple examples of what this looks like. Look at Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. The psalmist says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. The psalmist is asking for help. Whenever we read a passage of scripture and we think, I want to live this out. I want to put this into practice. It says, uh, humble yourself. Okay, well, I want to humble myself. So, Lord, help me humble myself. Ask for help. Lord, help me live out your word. Help me to live out your commands. Another example I've been praying, I'm going to give you a few personal examples. Here's Ephesians 4.24. Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I came across this verse a couple years ago and and man, I've been just wrestling with this one for a long time. We're created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Isn't that fascinating? That's fascinating to me. So I've turned that into prayer because I don't fully understand that. So I ask for understanding, but then I ask for help. Here's the way I turned it into prayer. I very simply say, Father, help me to walk in the righteousness and holiness you created me for. Simple, simple prayer. Help me to walk in the righteousness and holiness you created me for. I'm taking God's words and turning them back into a prayer and speaking them back to him in the form of request. Whenever we read this of the Bible, this, this, is, this is what God does in our life. He highlights passages. He wants us to pay attention to them. One of the ways we can do it is by praying and asking for help for ourselves. But we can also pray a scripture for someone else as well. And that's number five. We can pray a passage for someone else. 
Sometimes the Lord will bring a person or a circumstance to mind in which a particular passage addresses. This is God inviting us to join him in interceding for that individual or that set of circumstances. So if you see someone going through a difficult circumstance, one of the ways to effectively pray for them is to find a passage that speaks to that situation and pray for them. For example, Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So a few years back, I had a friend of mine whose mother was in the hospital dying of cancer. And I was going to go visit him, and she was still coherent and, and, uh, and, uh, interact and would interact, and so I was going to have to interact with her and him. And I was going into that situation, and I thought to myself, I don't know what to say. What do you say? Some of you have been in those situations. Some of you, that's been your loved one on the, on the bed. What do you say? What kind of words do you say? And, and I remember thinking to myself, I've got to find something, something to say to, this, to, this, to my friend and to his mom. And, and this came to mind. This passage came to mind. And so as we're closing up the conversation, I'm going to pray for them. And I'm like, well, what do I pray? And, and I'm like, this is, this is what I'm going to pray. And this is what I prayed actually opened up my Bible right there in the moment. I read the passage, and then I just prayed it, because this is a prayer from Paul. And I said, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you all trust in him through this, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I, I prayed that. I left the room that day. I didn't think anything of it. You know, and, and a few days later, she passed away. And my friend came to me, and in the course of a conversation with him afterwards, he says, you know, I still remember that passage you prayed in the hospital room, Romans 15, 13. And he goes, that has stayed with me. And he says, I have continued to pray with that. Listen, when you find yourself in a situation and you don't have the words to say to someone, use God's words. Use God's words. We can use his words to speak not only to him in prayer, but to pray on behalf of others. Powerful things happen when we do. Okay, so we've got to agree and believe, thanks and praise, ask for understanding, ask for help for yourself, ask for help for others. Number six, confess and repent. Confess and repent. How many of y'all guessed that one on your notes? Anybody? Ah, I didn't see that one. Okay, confess and repent. When you read a passage of scriptures, it's very simple. There's a hint of conviction. You know your life does not line up with that passage, what it's teaching, then take the time to allow that passage to lead you into a conversation with your heavenly father about it. Talk to him about it. Psalm 51 is a great example of the psalmist. Once again, the psalms will teach you how to pray. Here's the psalmist, uh, Psalm 51, 1 and 2. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. The psalmist would often confess his sin. We need to be able to take a passage of Scripture that's convicted us and turn it into a confession. Father, you know I've disobeyed you in this area of my life. Have mercy on me. I confess my sin to you. Father, I repent. I'm turning away from my sin. Cleanse me from it. Any passage of Scripture, Father, you know I have disobeyed you in this area. I confess that to you. He, listen, if you read a passage of Scripture and you get convicted by it and you think you're, you, know, you're, you know your life doesn't line up to it, like, God is sitting there. He's real. He's a real person. And he knows. He's with you. Emmanuel, God with us, he's with you. And so turn it into a conversation. Talk to him about it. 
Just say, you know what, Father? I've not, I've not, I've not obeyed this. Turn it into a conversation. He's eager to engage in conversation with you about topics that revolve around his word in your life and in my life. Okay, lastly, number seven, simply ask God a question. You can ask any question. Let me tell you something. God loves questions. He loves questions. God loves to ask questions, and he loves for, to be asked questions. And as you pray through Scripture... You'll start to remember that, hey, conversations are two-way. And one of the ways we can turn our hearts to listen to God is to ask him a question that we really want to know the answer to. We have several examples throughout Scripture. Moses asked God, why, Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your people? Saul asked God, why have you not answered your servant today? Job cried out, have I not sinned? how have I sinned against you, God? Why have you made me a target? David and Jesus both asked God, why have you forsaken me? When's the last time you asked God a question in your prayer life? Ask him questions. He loves it to be asked questions. No question is too hard or too difficult for God to answer. You can ask him anything. Ask him lots of things. I throw out questions all the time, questions I forget about. I just throw them out there because it cultivates intimacy. Praying a question may look like this. I could really use some encouragement today. Will you send someone to do that? Will you send someone to encourage me today, Father? Or how about this one? Lord, why do I get so frustrated with this person in my life? Or how about this one? Lord, how am I doing at loving you with all my heart, my soul, and my strength? The great commandment. Or here's a good one. Maybe one of the most powerful questions you could ask God in prayer. God, what do you think about me? God, what do you feel about me? Have you ever asked God that? Have you ever asked the Lord, Lord, when you look at me, what comes to your mind? What comes to your heart? What expressions on your face when you think about me, think about my family, my children? If you've never asked that God, God that question, I want to challenge you to ask him. He loves to answer that question. Ask him these questions. Study God's word. Meditate on it. Think about it over and over again. And as you begin to use the words of Scripture to guide your conversation with God, you're going to create intimacy more and more. Listen, today uh, we're going to take communion. I'm going to invite our host team uh, to get ready to hand out communion. And as we take communion, there's a verse I want us to... Uh, I want us to meditate on. And it's Romans 5.8. It's Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the host team is going to pass out communion, and you're going to get uh, two cups. You're going to get a cup with a cracker and a cup with juice. And uh, Josh and the team is going to lead us through some time of music, and you're going to get a couple of minutes. And, and during this time, I want you to meditate on this verse. Maybe you, maybe you want to take a few seconds and in prayer, you want to agree and believe in this passage. Maybe you want to give thanks and praise. Maybe you want to ask God this morning as you read this passage, would you help me believe this? Help me to understand this? Maybe you want to 
just take a few minutes and give him thanks for dying on the cross for your sins. You know, we believe that Jesus Christ was the son of the living God, that he was born of a virgin, that he came and lived a sinless life, that he suffered and that he died, and that three days later, he rose again, that he ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of our heavenly father. And that because he, put a, because he died, he opened a way for us to have an intimate relationship with God, that through his death on the cross, we have forgiveness of sins. If you've never put your faith and your trust in Christ, I encourage you to do that today. But if you have put your faith and your trust in Christ, to take communion and give God thanks and praise. Let's pray. Father, thank you for demonstrating your love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, you sent your son Jesus to die for us. In your name we pray, amen.